I was born with a hidden defect. It's hard to recall a little baby, I guess. It was a defect that, thankfully, my physician recognized from his listening to my heart with his stethoscope. And by listening, he could tell that there was a heart murmur that was very detectable that needed more attention than he as our family doctor was going to be able to give. And so he sent my parents, gave them a couple of options. They chose to send me, to, to take me to University of Iowa hospitals. I grew up in Northwest Iowa in Iowa City because they had at the time the best pediatric cardiology department in the Midwest. As a matter of fact, they still specialize in pediatric care. If you have ever watched or seen the clip of a football, college football game at the end of the first quarter, the whole stadium waving to this now high-rise hosp children's hospital built right next to the stadium. Now you know why I became an Iowa Hawkeye fan. So it was hidden from view. I'd be the kind of person that would get into trouble because by state law, I was considered handicapped. I'd be the kind of person that would get into trouble. I'd park in the handicapped spot with my handicapped sticker. I would hop out of the car and go into the retail store and somebody would write a nasty note and leave it on my window that I'm not handicapped and I should be parking in the handicapped spot. To me, it was actually a benefit because nobody knew. And I didn't want people to know that I was different. So I floated along, you might say, through my childhood years thankfully received lots of love from my family. My brothers beat up on me only on occasion, and they knew that they had to take it easy when they did it. If they didn't, my parents would be on top of them. So I had this idyllic childhood, not really too worried about my life, until I entered high school. That was like a game changer for me. This thing that had been hidden now was being revealed because I could not participate in any athletics and any PE. And so that meant that I also began to lose my social status because by the time you're in high school, your social status is defined by your athletic prowess, at least for the boys. And so I was struggling in high school because I was being left out. That was the good stuff, actually. In hindsight, I didn't get invited to the parties, thank God. <laughs> But I was left out of the social circles and networks as well. And 
there was a few, maybe more than a few, that saw me as a sign of weakness and would make fun of me and ridicule me because of this handicap, this hidden handicap. And so I grew up pretty good until high school. And then it became very apparent that I was different and that I didn't fit in. And they didn't have Mr. Rogers for high school students. <laughs> I was the butt of jokes. I would become very depressed. And I would go home and just go to my room. My dad could detect it. And he would always come home from work. And he'd come and he'd sit next to me and he'd say what's wrong and I'd say nothing and then eventually he'd get it out of me and what he used to tell me was this he says I know that it hurts I know that it hurts but I want you to be bigger than the kids who are making fun of you I want you to think bigger than they're thinking, because they're thinking very small. But I want you to think bigger. And so the sermon theme today is dedicated to my dad. Because he's not just calling me, he's calling us, the church, to think big. I mean, when you take a look at these Beatitudes, that is really what Jesus is asking of us. Now, some of you were here last week, and now you're really confused because last week I told you to think small. And last week, we looked at the first half of the Beatitudes, and they are different because what they're asking us to do is to think less about ourselves and to think more about God and the ones that God blesses, to think more about those who mourn the death, not just of loved ones, but mourn the death of faith in God in our world, who mourn the poor in spirit, those who suffer from emotional, spiritual distress. God blesses the meek, the humble, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's what it means to think small. It's to think of God and to think of those folks. But today, it's a bit more of a challenge. Because what God is calling us to do in the second half is to live lives that will reflect not who we are, but who God is, so that we can be the light of Christ that shines in this world. Think big. Think big. Today, Jesus is asking us to think more of what the church is, and not the buildings, more of what the body of Christ is. 
more of what the body of Christ can be and more of what the body of Christ will be. God blesses those who are merciful. People who not only have an attitude of mercy, I mean, how many of us have had an attitude of mercy? Oh, I feel so much compassion for those homeless people. Well, that's an attitude of mercy, but that's not what Jesus is blessing here. What Jesus is blessing are the acts of mercy. When we go down to the homeless shelter and offer our services as a volunteer, when we send money to the homeless shelters that are housing the homeless and feeding the homeless, those are acts of mercy. And what Jesus is blessing is not the attitude but the act, the act of blessing. Jesus also blesses the pure in heart. Now, this is not just the avoidance of impure thoughts, and God only knows that there are lots of impure thoughts in our world, in our culture today, that it would be beneficial to avoid. Jesus is blessing more than just the avoidance of thought. Purity in heart is about a united heart, a single solitary heart, not one that gets divided. Or as Matthew says a little bit later on in his gospel, as he records Jesus' words, purity in heart doesn't allow you to serve two masters. You can serve mass, uh, the master of, of money, mammon, or you can serve God, but you can't serve them both. And if you do, your heart becomes divided. As we come to the end of January, I am preparing, hopefully by mid-February, to pay my debt to Caesar. It is not fun, but due to an obligation by penalty of, of law, I will pay Caesar. Do I love to pay Caesar? No. Will I do everything I can to pay him the least amount that I have to? Yes. Because I give this gift to Caesar because the law demands it. Now the problem with my heart is that sometimes my heart can get confused. And sometimes my heart will not only be confused but become divided. And I can become resentful because I am living according to the law in one portion of my life and I let that bleed over into another portion of my life. So when it comes to making my offering, I can begin to think, ah, just like Caesar. But it's not. 
The difference is that my offering comes because of what God has done for me. It is, it is an offering that is given freely because of my gratitude, our gratitude for what Jesus has done in our lives, what Jesus is doing in our lives, what Jesus will do in our lives. So the offering is a gift of grace. But sometimes, when I don't guard my heart, that law can leak in. And my heart can become divided. And the temptation is that it steals my joy. I can hear my dad reminded me, because my dad was a generous man, I can remember him saying to me, when I have a divided heart, the words from my dad still speak. Think big, Steve. Think big. You see, my divided heart is just another heart defect within me. In Psalm 86, verses 11 and 12, the psalmist, I think, captures this quite beautifully. Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. And when he speaks about the truth here, think of this truth as the truth in Jesus, as God's grace. That I may live according to your truth, your grace. Grant me purity of heart, an undivided heart, so that I may honor you with all of my heart, not just a part of it, but all of my heart, so that I may praise you, O Lord my God, and I will give glory to your name forever. For your love for me is very great. You have rescued me from the depths of death. I married a woman who has the same attitude as my father. She's a very generous woman. The song she played for the offertory is Adoration. It's a song built out of joy, our response to God. God blesses those who work for peace. Now there's an interesting note here. Because what Jesus is saying is, blessed are those who make peace, not who keep peace. Peacekeeping is a passive aspect of peace. And if you're like me, I don't know if you are or not, your tendency, if you're like me, would be to be more of a peacekeeper than a peacemaker. I am not crazy about conflict. On, on a staff level, on a couple level, on a family level. And I was taught well by my father, who also did not like conflict, 
how to avoid it. So when my children would fight when they were young, I would remind them the imperative of working it out and getting along. But I didn't do it with them. <laughs> I just told them to do it. I was a peacekeeper. Peacemakers, on the other hand, they get down on the floor and they start to work it out. Peacemakers work towards reconciliation so that those disagreements and misunderstandings can be clarified, illuminated, so that there can be a, a comprehensive focus on, on a unified way to move forward. A peacemaker will risk her or his life to bring about reconciliation. In my earlier days, I was privileged to travel to Germany as a, as a tag-along with this amazing missionary pastor, her brokering. We would take youth over there. And I remember on one of the visits, the last visit with Herb on one of these, uh, one of these tours, the wall had come down. And because the wall had come down, that meant that the whole government was in turmoil. Eric Honecker had been the, the uh, well, I guess we could call him the dictator of East Germany. He was the president. Um, he was the one that held the power. And uh, after the wall came down and uh, the Soviet Union collapsed, he was without a place to go. He and his wife were no longer welcome in Germany. They were not welcome anywhere in the world except for Brazil. I mean, to show you how bad this couple was, Russia didn't even want them. So Eric Honecker, oh, and some of you know my love for Vladimir Putin. <laughs> um, he was the head of the Stasi, the state police in East Germany at this time. I never met him but I met, I met a lot of his workers because they would always infiltrate every group that came in. So in East Germany, Eric Honecker and his wife were allowed to move to Brazil. They were there for a short time and there was such an uproar amongst the Brazilian people that they were living there that eventually the Brazilian leaders had to ask them to find another place to go. There was no other place to go. Nobody wanted them. And so there was this little Christian hospital in East Germany that never received any funding from the state because the state didn't want to support anything that was Christian. They had found the support amongst themselves. The doctors and the nurses were Christians that were trained there. They, wouldn't, they couldn't be trained by the by the, the, the Soviet Union, by the East Germans. So they, they learned on their own from older doctors and surgeons and nurses how to do this work. This little Christian hospital in East Germany, they, they were peacemakers. Because Eric Honecker was suffering from cancer. He probably didn't have much time left to live. 
And they said, come home. You can live here. We'll find a little house on the hospital grounds for you and your wife to live. And so they came home. And this little Christian hospital took care of them for the remainder of their lives until they died. The hospital administrator, the doctors, the workers, they, were, they, they received death threats. The hospital received bomb threats. But that did not deter them from making peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus also says, blessed are those who are unjustly persecuted. To be devoted to righteousness means to be devoted to Jesus. And that can cause persecution. The Religious News Service just published a couple weeks ago an article that highlighted that the most persecuted religious body today are Christians around the world. We have the most persecutions than any other religious group. And the challenge for us here in the United States is to remember that because we are probably the least persecuted Christians in the world today. It's not that people even really hate us, although there may be some, but the, for the most part, we're ignored today. And so, blessed, blessed are those who are unjustly persecuted, our brothers and sisters around the world, to be devoted to Jesus in a way that brings harm upon you and your family. They had countries listed where persecutions were most prominent in, in the Far East, in China. These are places where you practice your faith at the risk of, of death. Jesus gives the disciples some further instruction later on in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 12, as he explains to them. Make sure I got the right spot here. Ma uh, Matthew 10, excuse me. In verse 16, as he sends out his disciples, he tells them, he tells them this. Look, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves, so be as shrewd as snakes and be harmless as doves. But beware, for you will be handed over to the courts. You'll be flogged with whips in the synagogues, for you will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and other unbelievers about me. When you are arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. For it is not you who will speak, it will be the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. 
Jesus is telling his disciples. And he is speaking to all followers. Think big. Think big. Now, in case, in case you're beginning to think about how you will never make it with Jesus because you don't seem to exhibit any of these attributes, in case that's what you're thinking, I want to tell you that I have some good news for you. This is the good news. These blessings, these beatitudes, Jesus gives not to individuals, but the community of disciples, those who are following Jesus. These are not individual blessings. These are corporate blessings that speak to the whole church, the whole body of Christ, to all who choose to follow Jesus. For this reason, it's not about you and your abilities or your feeling of lack of abilities. It's not about that. It's about being the body of Christ, being the church. It's about being current day disciples. Jesus isn't calling you to seek suffering. What he's saying is that because you follow him, you will experience suffering. And when you do experience suffering, because of Jesus, rejoice and be glad. For you are doing the work of God. You are doing the work of God. And that should bring you great joy. Don't run from the challenge. Run into the challenge so that you can experience the joy that God promises us today, tomorrow, and for the future. The last thing I want to remind you of is that these Beatitudes are not an ancient philosophy or a new way of thinking. These Beatitudes are religion, yes, I said that word, religion at its best. These Beatitudes show what religion can be and will be with Christ. Religion is showing acts of mercy <coughs> and serving those in need. Religion is sharing the gospel with those who have not heard. Religion is making peace and reconciliation amongst groups that have been fighting. Religion is being laser-focused on Jesus. Attitudes, eh, they're okay. Spirituality is essential, but so is religion. Because 
through religion, we're not thinking about the church. We are the church. Showing those acts of mercy and love to those in need. So my call to you today is to think big. Think big and be the church.